Today we'll be discussing the band Motley Crue, and we'll be discussing ankylosing spondylitis. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs, not a real doctor, Ali Hassan. Now, every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be speaking about the legendary metal band Motley Crue, and we'll be talking about ankylosing spondylitis. Now, the question is, how are these two connected? Ali, you know. I, I do because we've <laughs> talked about this. Ahead of time. I'm here. I'm present. I've prepared. It'd be weird if I didn't. It would be weird. But if for our listeners who don't know, the lead guitarist for Motley Crue is named Mick Mars, and he has ankylosing spondylitis. He's had this since his twenties, and he recently had to retire from at least touring with the band. The band says that he has retired completely and there's a bit of a conflict between Mick Mars and the rest of the band. So we could talk about that a bit later, but these two are very intricately connected and a lot of people will hear this and be like, what is ankylosing spondylitis? So we will talk about that in our second half. In the first half, we'll talk about Motley Crue. But before that, I want to talk about Chris Rock. It's a bit of a follow-up from a previous episode. Mm-hmm. We did review Chris Rock's Selective Outrage on a recent episode, and I then went back because, again, you've been really talking a lot about this podcast, Fly on the Wall, which is the SNL podcast, David Spade, and I had a very long trip, so I listened to probably eight episodes during this trip. Amazing. By the way, while I'm recommending things, related note, I also had a long trip and in a hotel put on David Spade's comedy special on Netflix. I giggled all night. Is it and good? Is it good? Oh, I listen, man, if you like David Spade's comedy, it's exactly his comedy. I laughed out loud a number of times. I was kind of rolling around in the bed on my own a little bit. Like I say, it's giggling, but it's classic David Spade. Really like it. Too much information. That's there. a nice image for you. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yikes. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So back to the on. podcast. Yes. So I was listening to an episode of Fly on the Wall with Chris Rock. It was one of the very first episodes. So this was before the Will Smith slap. Okay. And Chris Rock told the story. And as soon as I heard the story, I'm like, this explains everything. It explains Chris Rock's reaction to the slap, as in not or reacting, lack yes, exactly, yes, yes. and why he remained quiet for so long. So I'll tell you the story that Chris Rock told you. People may have heard the story before, but for me, it was the first time hearing it. So when Chris was growing up, when he was about 11 or 12, and of course, people don't know, the show Everybody Hates Chris was, you know, Terry Crews. That was based on Chris's life, right? And so I don't think mm-hmm. that this was dramatized in the show, but I didn't watch that many episodes of that show. So when Chris was 11 or 12, he was at a party. And he explains how someone at the party mushed him. And mushed him, I don't really know what that means, but I think it's like kind of like pie-faced him and just like humiliated him at the party, you know? Like, so the next day, Chris got up and he's like, I can't let this stand, you know? So he put a brick in his book bag and went to school and went up to this guy and swung as hard as he can and like knocked this guy out. And so much so that he was in the hospital and Chris tells a story like every day when they heard you know, cop cars going by, he thought they were coming for him, you know, to arrest him for like knocking this guy unconscious and sending him to the hospital. Anyway, fast forward to Chris Rock when he was getting divorced. And that was, again, we talked about, that's the subject of Tambourine, which is his second to last special. 
And his therapist said, you know, your issue is this was a seminal moment in your life when you hit that person and you are afraid of losing control and you will do everything in your power to avoid conflict because you can never let yourself get to that point again. And to me, I just like, that is so fascinating, right? Because, and then he was challenged on the biggest stage of them all in that very fashion. His number one fear is losing control and getting angry. You know, I don't know. I just, I just thought it was, it kind of explains and ties everything together. No. Sure. I mean, had he gone to prison at age 12? First of all, what are you doing out at a party at 12 years old? Doesn't matter. But that was my first thought. I was like, well, these kids are partying. But yeah, imagine there would be no Chris Rock, probably. You know, you go to prison at a young age, even if it's juvie, like that kind of shapes your life in a very different way, right? Who you meet, who you hang out with, the experiences you have. I don't know if those lend themselves towards being a stand-up comedian. The comedy world is not littered with, uh, you know, ex-cons and, and people who've served time. It's, you, you definitely discover a different life, a different path. No. And yeah, instead, very, very interesting. yeah, and instead you read these interviews and listen to interviews with, about Chris Rock, people talking about him saying, you know, he's the nicest guy in the world, this kind of angry guy on stage. It's not who he is in mm. real life. He's very, like, calm, very sweet is what everybody says about him. And who knows how, I mean... Who knows? I mean, I think it did. That episode, I think, shaped him and his personality in the way he is like that. So anyway, just thought I would mention that story because I haven't really seen it anywhere. And I do think it's related to the Will Smith slap. Thank you for sharing. Okay, Ali, let's get into talking about crew. Do you call it the crew or the crew? The crew? They're known as Motley Crew, and I would expect you to give them the appropriate respect. Okay, I apologize for that. So, yeah, I thought we'd talk a bit about the background of this band. And just to start off, I was not a big Motley Crew fan growing up, but Ali Hassan. Your loss, not theirs, okay? Right. So you were a big <laughs> fan of the, these guys, right? Why was us? If I did the math, uh, I guess I wasn't as a fan as long as I thought I was. But when I loved them, I loved them quite a bit. Yeah, Shout at the Devil was one of like the coolest albums, and I really loved that album. And it was pretty awesome, and they were ridiculously cool, and there was plenty of posters of Motley Crue. I was going to say, like, you guys probably don't know, I was not a poster guy, like, in my room, as, as Ali knows, but uh, Ali's room, lots of these uh, metal bands, uh, heavy metal bands, right? Like, decorating. I write about it in my book that it was, like, a lot of, like, tight, tight spandex and <laughs> yeah. men giving, like, a come-hither look and tongue between their fingers and all that. Like, somebody should have come into my room highly sexualized and charged that room in those posters but motley crew definitely at the forefront them and van halen were oh yeah you were a huge van halen fan i remember like you love those guys and Mm -hmm. but you also like some of the other bands you you were like a maiden iron maiden oh yeah 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 eddie was the mascot of iron maiden it was like a flag not really a poster but a flag that would be on my ceiling. I can't yeah. even imagine what my parents would think about like <laughs> you know, your parents were more lenient than you're giving than you give them credit for in yeah. your in your stand up and your book sometimes. But I know my parents there's no way they would let me put that stuff up. So but and you know, so Ali was like my cool cousin. Like we're not related, but as you guys know, we've been close since I was born. So uh, I tried to call Asif my cousin and Asif who's very a rule follower yeah. would be like, We're not cousins. I'd be like, Hey man, 
Can you just let this introduction to some other friends of mine just kind of flow without you interrupting me? And yeah, so Ali, as yeah, that is true. That's a true story. I did. Uh, <laughs> it, it'd be like technically we're not cousins. Yeah, technically, uh, um, as he pushes his glasses up his nose, <laughs> there were no glasses. No, they're, they're not not back then. No. So yeah, but and I would go to Ali. You know, I, I think I told people this. You know, Ali got me into comics. I didn't really collect comics till I, and Ali had you know these comics and he'd take them out and he had these albums. We had more tapes back then we were listening to as opposed to like records but so but i was like i was a bit scared you and i and my buddy dave my dave from when i was growing up who were big metal guys and i'd be a bit scared i never like admitted this to anybody but like you know eddie from iron maiden that mascot and i bark at the moon like ozzy osbourne that stuff was like scary i'm like this seems really bad and I, so i was not into that stuff i'm like this is and now when you look back on it it's ridiculous like as you said the guys from motley crew their hair sprayed out, makeup, right? Like they would wear, you know, women's makeup, as you're saying, because, but that was cool back then. And just when you look at it now, you're like, it's such a put on and not necessarily a, a bad way, but now you realize all this outrage against them and Ozzy, uh, like it was just, and Alice Cooper, like it was just ridiculous. Just people clutching their pearls for no reason. Yeah, well, it speaks to the old saying, the more you know, you know, and the less you knew, the more scared you could be of Motley Crue. But so they had a first album that very few people would know about. I don't think that that's like even worth talking about when you talk about Motley Crue. It was called Too Fast for Love. Nobody really knows it. I don't, it didn't even sell like, I don't know what, not even a hundred thousand copies, but you know, it's seminal piece of work for this band as they're figuring out who they are and getting together. But then their first real album, the album that was successful was Shout at the Devil. And I had this album, loved it, thought it was amazing. And of course, as you're suggesting us, if this album goes on immediately to stir up some controversy, you know, more Christian groups are like, they use a pentagram on their album mm -hmm. cover. Right. And so it's like, this is, these guys are promoting Satan worship and stuff like that. And if you knew anything about the band, it's like, there's no, uh, you know, yeah, there's, it's Shout at the Devil is this song. But if you look at the rest of the album, you know, she's got the looks to kill. They're singing yeah, about yeah. like a, a hot woman. They do a cover of a Beatles Helter Skelter on this album. Oh, really? It's like okay. really not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nikki Six was quoted as saying he found the Beatles pretty wimpy, but he said, I really love this song, which is hilarious because then fast forward five years and I began to find... Motley Crue, pretty wimpy, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll get to that. Yeah, so... Yeah, why don't you go through the history of this band for people who don't know them a little bit, give a kind of a, a synopsis of who they are. Yeah, I mean, we'll be brief. They started in about 81 in Hollywood, California. So Nikki Six, as you said, is a bassist. He's really the linchpin of the band, the consistent force throughout the years. And then, of course, he recruited drummer Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee, we all know, famous and infamous in many ways. And then mm -hmm. a different guitarist and lead vocalist named Greg Leon. And then after some time, he left, and then they recruited Mick Mars, and then Vince Neil, who I think a lot of people know as well. And it's funny, when you name all these people, I think Mick Mars is the least kind of known out of them, because he's not the troublemaker that everybody else was. And he, actually, Mick Mars placed an advertisement in something called The Recycler, which was like, a, in California, was like a Craigslist, like a paper Craigslist, and read, loud, rude, and aggressive guitar player available. And so, which, by the way, speaking of like good marketing and good branding, that's a great self ad, right? Like if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for somebody who can rock really hard, like that's great. Loud, rude, and aggressive. I mean, 
terrific. Mm-hmm. And so then they recruited him, and they didn't have a name for the band, and so they were actually going to call it Christmas for a while. Well, that that's one of the funniest things you could ever learn about Motley Crue, and that's how much it shows that you know ninety percent of the stuff they were doing was for show, for press, and to gain this infamy that you mentioned. They were going to call the band Christmas. I mean, they weren't going to. Nikki Six, the founder, suggested it. He was, you know, he seriously suggested it, not as a joke. And that shows you that uh, clearly Shout at the Devil was nothing to do with Satan worship. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they eventually settled on Motley Crue, I guess, because somebody called them a Motley Crue of, you know, whatever, wannabes or whatever musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I guess Vince Neil suggested you'd put the two umlauts above the O and the U in each of the words, because I guess they were drinking Lohenbrau beer at the time, and they're like, oh, umlauts are cool. Are they? I don't know. Are they? Because the real pronunciation of the band now becomes like and then that's like a little less cool yeah i don't know if that's how you pronounce it but now there is some interesting trivia about these guys and i didn't know about this till i was doing some research there was this canadian incident so this was pre shadow of the devil coming out this is 82 so they're trying to make their name and become like the next big thing. So this is what happened. They were in Edmonton at the Edmonton International Airport and cruising through Canada tour. Yeah, in 1982. And they wore their spiked state, you know, they had leather jackets with spikes in them and stuff. So they were arrested at the Edmonton Airport for having dangerous weapons, which was like the leather. On their body. On their yeah, body. Good. Canada and, customs having standards since, since the mean, 80s. I mean, yeah. And then Vince Neil had a carry-on with pornographic magazines, which was indecent material. But event, <laughs> And then they confiscated them and destroyed them. And then they played a place called Scandals Disco in Edmonton. And there was a bomb threat that was there. And they threw a television from the Sheraton Caravan Well, Hotel. they didn't. Tommy Lee did that. But yeah, and but all those things, the television was actually thrown. That's like a guy coming off his like drug and alcohol yeah, yeah. binge probably, but or right in the middle of it. But it's worth mentioning that the weapons... The porn in a, you know, carry on and the bomb threat all created by one of their managers is staged all stuff. What's his name? Grief. Grief. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, one, one of the of, first you know, managers. Yeah. yeah. One of the first managers understood the value of any press is good press, I yeah. guess. Right. Yeah. And so he was and- like, let's do this. Let's make sure we do this. And Yeah. The TV, I think, stands apart. Yeah, you think that was just Tommy Lee, like, yeah, being a bit of a doofus. So, yeah, and then you can see that because, as you said, the next album was Shout of the Devil. That was their big breakthrough. But again, that whole Satanism. And it's just so funny that everybody fell for this stuff, right? That is the thing that these, then you can see the genius in Motley Crue, not just the musical genius. But the PR, this branding, like, you know, and then you think, oh, so then Ozzy and Alice Cooper and all these guys were also doing this. They knew that that was what kids would gravitate to, this kind of, the danger that I was scared of, because I was a wimp, right, is what was, you know, other kids like you were gravitating to, right? This this sense of coolness. Danger was my middle name. So, and then, of course, speaking of danger, lots of dangerous activities that were real with these guys. So the, the Yeah, I wonder, kind of a psychology wet dream here because they were basically posers you know they were basically pretending to be something they weren't and then they were probably like no no but we are those people actually 
and yeah you M- mainly and, with and like alcohol and drugs right and yeah. i mean and, but, but, and then a bunch of stuff that happens because of alcohol yeah so like yeah awful yeah so in 84 basically uh, vince neal was driving drunk and was in a head-on collision and his passenger was hanoi rocks drummer nicholas razzle dingley did you know hanoi rocks were they right? i know hanoi rocks well, i didn't know like them enough to know the drummer's name, yeah. but I knew that yeah, band yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was into whatever. And it's very funny because at that time it was called hair metal or glam metal. And we were like, this is not hair metal. This is so much more amazing than that. And then you realize that's we what were, it was. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, Dingley died in that accident. Yeah. And then Neil was charged with a DUI and vehicular manslaughter. He was only sentenced to 30 days in jail and only served 18. And he had to pay, I think, a civil suit, which was $2.5 million. Yeah. So if you're in your you know, local bar and you see Vince Neil performing next month at your local watering hole, you can assume that it has to do with that $2.5 million that he had right. to- Right. Uh, yeah. So, so- That and like uh, lawsuits throughout their lives as well, throughout their careers with ex-managers. And right. Well. Yeah. So basically the reason he got such a short sentence was because this would allow him, the deal was that would allow him to make money to pay the civil damages, right? Right. For sure. And then of course, Nikki Six, very well known. I mean, you can read a lot about this. There's a couple of things. Nikki Six has an autobiography. I think Vince Neil does too. Uh, some of them actually have a couple of, of biographies that they've written. But then there's The Dirt, right? The Dirt was this biography that came out of the whole band in the early 2000s. And then, of course, it was made into a movie a couple of years ago on Netflix, which kind of re-sparked interest in the band. So you can hear about their drug exploits and their other debaucherous acts in, in the book and the movie. But, you know, Nikki Six had a near-fatal heroin overdose in 86, 1986, and the person who sold the drugs dumped his body in a dumpster. I mean, how close could you come to dying? Well, it happened many times because in a year mm-hmm. later, he had a heroin overdose and was declared legally dead, but the paramedic who saw him was a Motley Crue fan and knew it was Nikki Six, so he like gave him two shots of adrenaline. I mean, I would like to believe that the paramedic would save anybody's life. Yeah. Wait, hold on. I'm a fan. Let me try to <laughs> yeah, save this right. guy's life. Isn't that your job? But anyway, okay. <laughs> so that's dramatized in the dirt in the movie. So him getting his heart restarted was one of the many incidences that led to him like naming a song after that incident, right? Yeah. Inspiration. Inspiration. And that song was Girls, Girls, Girls. No, it wasn't. But listen, you know, something to be said here for Nikki Six and the inspiration he gets from the most awful things. I mean, uh, I, I guess we could call him a prolific songwriter. There's a song called Dancing on Glass that he got when he first, like, almost overdosed from heroin. Or there's a song called Knock 'em Dead Kid when he got in a fight with some Hell's Angels who were actually cops undercover as hell's angels they beat the crap out of him broken cheekbone what does he do when he gets out writes a song knock him dead kid and then the one you're talking about when he was revived you literally brought back from death kickstart my heart which was a huge uh, you know song for them off their dr feelgood album yeah no absolutely and and well i guess let's talk about that so dr feelgood was 1989 that's when i'm like oh like these guys are i mean that was a huge album like not just for people who liked hard rock and heavy metal, but for everyone. The Dr. Feelgood was like one of the big songs, Kickstart My Heart, as you said. 
And then they had a couple of ballads too, right? Molly Crew was very, very mainstream by 89. And that was produced by Bob Rock, you know, prolific producer who went on to produce Metallica. And in fact, you know, if you, I don't know if we have to get too much into it, but there was a big feud between Metallica and Motley Crew for various reasons. Uh, also probably staged. I believe none of it. Yeah. I mean, come on. And then of course, cause later on, even though Metallica hated Motley Crew, they hired Bob Rock for, and that became like, so Dr. Feelgood came out in 89. The next Metallica album was the Black Album in 1991, and which was easily the biggest Metallica album that had ever come out with their right, biggest hits. Right. And it changed the sound of Metallica afterwards. And they were basically copying Motley Crue. So come on, like, let's all relax right. here. And in all of that, what you also are hiding is the fact that I really hate Bob Rock. <laughs> Oh, Bob Rock ruined, well, they, he ruined bands that I love. So they, they had, you know, Shout at the Devil was a great album. Now, Shout at the Devil, let me just talk about this for a second. Like, it's funny to go back and look at this. I thought it was a great album. I thought it was widely respected as a great album. I thought it was like, you know, an album and a band that influenced so many others. But, you know, you go back and you read the reviews, <laughs> there's from the Village Voice, uh, one of the reporters goes, this album is uh, poor, even by heavy metal standards, which is hilarious. It's a jab against me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the band and heavy metal. Another Rolling Stone found their style of rock formulaic, innocuous and unoriginal. Another guy in Rolling Stone goes, the whole point of bands like Motley Crue is to provide cheap thrills to jaded teens, and that's where the album ultimately disappoints. Wow. Rolling Stone album guide 2004 dismissed their music as a distressingly mild-mannered distillation of Kiss and Aerosmith cliches. Mind you, that's later on. Canadian journalist Martin Popoff considered Shout at the Devil inferior to their debut album, which nobody talks about, uh, called it extremely addictive if unoriginal, punk, rocking, lobotomy metal. I was like, my God. But anyway, you do find some credit for this album, but I love that album. I thought that was great. I thought it was like heavy rocking. And by the time, they, then they do Girls, Girls, Girls just a couple of years later. And I was like, it's a little bit cheesy. Girls, girls, girls. I just, it's getting on my, you know, it just didn't have the hard rocking. And by the time they were at Dr. Feelgood, I was like, this is just another like this is not metal what is this so i guess i was changing as a person too and my own taste in music was changing and i really had to pretend to like dr feelgood to sort of fit in among friends but if i had had a backbone i would have stood up and said guys this blows and you should know it so i was like i was so and and same thing with metallica their first three albums are fantastic. Kill Em All is amazing and Master of Puppets. Amazing. I'm so angry. Ride the Lightning is great. By the time Bob Rock comes in, I go, thanks for ruining everything, you loser. Okay, harsh. Harsh. So, so you know. For me. For me. Very personal. Right. Very personal. So then the band, I mean, you know, Vince Neil left, then he got back, then Tommy Lee quit, and, you know, there's a lot of back and forth with them. And like we said, things kind of, they came back together as a band around 2019 with the release of the movie The Dirt. So did you read either the book The Dirt or did you see the movie? I did not see the movie, and I'll tell you why, because I enjoyed the book. Oh. I really liked it. Rented it from the library, by the way. I don't do that too often. But it happened to be something... Our buddy Q and I were discussing, just talking about this book and my daughter's going to the library. I'm like, you know what? Can you get me this book? And of course she was like, don't be late. Cause then it goes on my 
that's a whole other thing. Super punk rock, huh? Late library fees. I'm still a rocker at the end of the day. But I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the book. There were so many tidbits that I loved. I love Vince Neil talking about what he remembers about David Lee Roth was like he was an incredibly shrewd businessman. Like he knew he had everything planned. He was like, your manager has to be like this. Your agent has to be like this. And he was like very, very professional, even at a young age. And I found that in, like amazing. And then right after that, he goes, and the other thing about David Lee Roth, he never shared his cocaine. <laughs> Two seemingly you know, unrelated things, his professional approach to uh, music and his career and then his cocaine use. But that's like, you know, it's amazing. It just like gives you an idea of what variety of people existed in the world of music mm -hmm. at that time, in the world of you know metal in, in particular. And, and I think, you know, this idea that they're just partiers or whatever, it's kind of the both sides of that. They were partiers for sure, mm. but they were also businessmen. And you'll see, well, let, let's talk about this now because it's the business aspect that's coming into problem with Mick Mars right now. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, Mick Mars's health is coming into play with all of this also. But also, I would say that they were not great businessmen, you know, like often they were going to be kicked off a tour and then couldn't be because they were so popular. And from a financial business standpoint, that's business working in their favor. That's not them being good businessmen. I Absolutely. And, you know, if you go through their history, they fired so many managers over time. So what is the, is it the manager stealing money from them, which is the old Hollywood adage, but is, is that really what's going on? Or is it well, that they realize that, you know, they're trying to rein them in from like, wasting all their money i don't know honestly. totally listen demi moore years ago was a friend of nikki six's she told him years ago he needs aa and he dismissed that then he badly injures his shoulder in a car crash obviously prescribed percocet what could go wrong right well anyway that was his then he was in a crippling addiction to heroin ensues $3,500 a day, he talks about, right? Almost claims his life later in the same decade. I mean, this is the type of people you're dealing with. Don McGee was one of their managers, said you had to apologize every day as a manager of Motley Crue. So one of my favorite stories about Motley Crue, it does not reflect well on them, but I love this story. 1984, Monsters of Rock was this festival that toured North America. Phenomenal, like amazing lineup. Van Halen and ACDC at their you know, when I loved them, like they, these guys were like, I was too young to even go to a concert, but I was like, this is so, I can't believe this is a thing that happens. Eddie Van Halen was bitten by Vince Neil during a dinner. And at some point, Tommy Lee also bit Malcolm Young, guitarist and founding member of ACDC. So Tommy Lee also was in a fist fight with David Lee Roth and, and Motley Crue was expelled from their hotel, this kind of stuff. So they wanted Motley Crue removed from the bill, both these bands. So I get this band off, but because of how popular they would, they couldn't, it was very difficult to get them off the bill. So here's the solution. This is my story. Motley Crue would enter their trailer upon arrival at the concert venue. They had to go right into their trailer. Then a large crane would lift the trailer many meters above the ground. So they could not leave their trailer. They were suspended in the air. Wow. I'm telling you, and that's how they don't cause any trouble. And then after the concert, they're required to leave the venue immediately. And that was the one Don McGee was like, you apologized every day for their behavior. And, you know, at a hotel, they would have to give $15,000 deposit 
at the beginning before they stayed there. And then there was a rule. He goes, I had to have a rule with every band member. Give me a list of everything you destroyed before you check out. Like that's a weird oh my God. That's not really wow. how you do rules. So this is who this band was. So they're almost, their success, I believe is almost despite themselves. So, and I bring that up also because you mentioned their business acumen. I don't know how much business acumen there was with all this suing and litigation that ensues. I mean, who's Metallica been suing, right? I don't think I could be wrong, but that I've never seen that in the press about bands like Metallica having issues with, you know, ex-band members and agents and managers and this kind of stuff. I'm uh, sure they yeah, do. I mean, we, we, I mean, we talk about the territory, but Metallica and kicking out uh, their basses. Anyway, that can be for another episode. You're right. Now, to be fair to members of Motley Crue, they've all been clean and sober for quite some time. And now they realize that their main source of income for a lot of these nostalgia type bands is touring. But it's a lot of money for their touring. They're on tour with Def Leppard, this big tour. It was going to be huge. And so this kind of ties into Mick Mars' retirement because there's actually Motley Crue Inc., which is their corporation that revolves around everything Motley Crue. And so, of course, Mick Mars is a part of that or was a part of that, right? So what happened in October is because of his almost 42 years of having ankylosing spondylitis, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, he said, I'm going to be retiring from touring, but I still be available to record albums and to do a residency. So if they had a residency like, you know, Adele or Celine Dion in Las Vegas, you know, Britney Spears for like a certain number of months, I could do that. It's just the touring that I couldn't do. And then basically, I mean, you can read through <laughs> what happened. There's a bunch of lawsuits and counter lawsuits. Basically, Molly Crew said, oh, you know, congratulations on your retirement. You've been a great part of the band and goodbye and good luck. And so Mick Mars wanted to still be a part of the Motley Crue Inc. and make money from everything related to Motley Crue. And they're like, well, you're not part of the band anymore. So they basically were going to cut his touring royalty agreement from 25% to 5%, and then eventually he'd have nothing. Which, again, Motley Crue argues, yeah, you're not touring with us anymore. That's it. Our main income is through touring. So why would you be able to get that? So this is currently where things are at between them. They're arguing back and forth. I mean, I'm overly simplifying this. Mm. And it's because he just, you know, he cannot function anymore. He's in his 70s now, Mick Mars, right? So, he's 71 years yeah. old. Yeah, because he's insane. much older than the rest of the band. And he was, obviously, when the band started. So, yeah, so that's where things are. So quite awkward. Again, well, I'll put some links in so you can read more about these suits and countersuits. And anyway, it's all quite unfortunate. But it might get people back interested in the band or... There's got to be people interested for the first time in this band, and they might go uh, see them. Remember the old Any Press is Good Press? Maybe this gets people to go see them at the local rock <laughs> yeah, that's right, Tobacco, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ali, hopefully people will also be interested in ankylosing spondylitis because of this controversy. Let me start with a quote from this CBS News article. Mars, this has to do with the legal trouble that we were just talking about. Mick Mars, 71, says in his claim that he has suffered from a horrific, in quotes, disease for decades. I don't know why it's horrific. In quotes, a chronic form of arthritis that has effectively fused his spine 
left him three inches shorter than he was in high school and unable to turn his head in any direction. This is basically what I know about Mick Mars. Prior to this article, I knew he was incredibly, you know, sort of rigid feels like a weird word. You know, I had a high school principal who was rigid. I mean, physically unable to move. So that's what I know. And that's what I wanted to start off with. You know, I can't even spell this condition. So obviously I didn't Google it and look into it, but also I don't look into these things when I, you know, when I think it'll make for more inquisitiveness on my end. So tell me about this thing. All I know is it's a form of arthritis, but what does it do to your body? How rare is it? Who gets it? Does this have to do with his touring and lifestyle or is this something congenital? Yeah, or, no, know? these are all, all the questions. questions. I got all the, questions. all the questions that you could ever think of. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. So this is a type of arthritis. And if you look at the studies, it's been afflicting humans for at least since ancient Egypt. And it was actually in the 1800s that the first description was made. So we've known about this for a long time. So this is a type of inflammation in joints. So that's causing arthritis, basically. And it affects the sacroiliac joints. Do you know where the sacroiliac joints are? I mean, I'm a fan of Maestro Fresh West who sang about the sacroiliac. Yes, let me quote from the maestro. Let your backbone slide. So many suckers on my sacroiliac. It's like a rapsack backpack. Wick whack. Give me some slackjack. Uh, I had to put that <laughs> this in. This episode, this episode has a little bit of everything. I love That's it. true. Okay. So much for Fresh West. Of course, is a Canadian rapper. And that's the first time I probably ever heard the word sacroiliac joint. Okay. You and everybody in this country. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Maestro is a radio DJ in the Maritimes now. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever worked with him, but we should invite him on the show. It'd be nice to kind of chat with him. Yeah. I would love to. I was over the moon to see him, like on Jerry D's show. Uh, yeah, Mr. yeah. D. yeah, he, he was, was on Mr. D. Yeah, gym yeah. teacher, and yeah. he's come back very much in the forefront. And I was like a huge proponent. Every time I would go visit my cousin in the U.S., I'd be like, "You got to listen to this." And we were like, "We should take this to a radio station here. There is no reason this should not be getting a North America wide airplay." You know, and I remember being furious that uh, what what is happening that is keeping maestro so kind of localized and not giving him the and eventually that song did break out just that the follow-ups didn't really but uh, anyway this has been a really big digression quite a tangent from a disease we were just talking about getting back to that yes i do have a question which is the actual words what is spondylitis where does that word come from and what is ankylosing because neither of those speak to the word arthritis, as far as I can tell, but you know, tell me what the background of those words are. It comes from the Greek word kilos, which means bent. We'll talk about bent Apologies to our Greek listeners. Yes. And spondylitis means inflammation of the spine. So that's why you have this. And it come, that comes from the Greek word spondylos, meaning spinal vertebra. So spondylos, spondylos, maybe. Spondylos. I don't know. Anyway, uh, okay. I don't know. You, you're going to try and order that at a Greek restaurant. <laughs> I'd like a side of spondylos. No, that's not appropriate. Anyway, so moving on. So that's where it comes from. And so it's been described for a long time. It affects males more than females, which is interesting because most of these inflammatory conditions, rheumatologic conditions, rheumatologic we talked about before involving joints, usually it's females more. So this is an interesting thing. So again, Mick Mars fits into this, primarily affects young adults. Adults, 80% of patients develop first symptoms when they're younger than 30 years old. Again, that was McMars as well. 
And so, yeah, really most patients under 45 will start having it. And then the problem is over time, and kind of jumping into what you were asking before, but the sacroiliac joint is where your hips meet your spine, essentially. It's quite, you can't actually feel it from that well from the outside, but it's, you, you could imagine deep in where your spine meets, meets your hips. And it can be quite painful. And eventually you get fusion of your skeleton, what we say the axioskeleton, like your spine, so much so that if you're inadequately treated, you can develop a bamboo spine, which is total spinal fusion. And then you can't move, bend. And this is what I think Mick Mars is, is either happening or he's partially has that. So when you're comparing your spine to something as, as hard as bamboo, right? Like that is not mm. good. Uh, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Mutai, young Mutai fighters, they start practicing with bamboo, kicking and hitting a bamboo because of how unbelievably sturdy it is. And rigid, yeah, right? You use that word, yeah. but that's what we're talking about here. So anyway, in terms of what causes it, because I know that's mm. what you always want to know, I the do. answer is we don't know. We mm. do know it's inflammatory mm. and it's associated with what's called an antigen, which is called HLA-B27. So it's something that is associated with a bunch of different diseases, of a bunch of different inflammatory diseases, and it's found in about 80 to 90% of patients with ankylosing spondylitis. So this is an associated thing. The way I look at it, it just means what we suspect. This is an autoimmune disease and people who have this autoimmune marker are going to be more predisposed to it. You don't have to have this antigen positive to have the diagnosis. It's what we call a clinical diagnosis. So we know it's inflammatory and we could talk about the treatment because the treatment is often trying to use anti-inflammatory drugs. Okay. Well, tell me about the symptoms of it. Right. I mean, Mick Mars has said he cannot move his head in any direction, which, you know, it's so interesting. And this is what we were like, Mick Mars, you know, it was like, he's so hilarious. Like he just stands mm -hmm. there. Like he's just so, and it was like, it kind of lent itself to a darkness about Mick Mars. It's like, this is who I am. This I'm dialed in. And it, of course, not realizing at all, this is very much connected to his health and his condition. But yeah, so he probably, he had this in his twenties. And now I imagine traveling is a nightmare, but this kind of stuff, this rigidity, the neck, this way, is that everybody gets that or are there different symptoms as well? I can eventually. So yeah, but let's start off with the initial symptoms. So this type of back pain you get, so back pain is the main symptom, right? But it's and hip and, and, and spine. hip and spine as well. So it's yeah. usually back buttock pain. That that would be the area that you'd feel it. So, but it's an inflammatory back pain. So it's a bit different than the regular back pain we get just from you know just going about your daily business, lifting heavy things, right? So these are things that make you think it's inflammatory. So it would cue a doctor to think this is a bit weird. So starting less than age forty or forty five, right? That would be unusual. An insidious onset. So it's not like, ah, I twisted my back and then I have like back pain or a slip disc that goes on for like, you know, weeks or months. It's like. There's a reason for it when it's. Right. This is slowly getting this worse and worse. A, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then it, interestingly, it improves with exercise. So it's worse. Is that that interesting? That's. It should make 100% no, sense. No, because most people who have like a mechanical back pain, it's worse with exercise, right? And you improve with rest with a mechanical back pain. Oh, Inflammatory huh. back pain, it gets better as you kind of exercise and stretch, you know, in the morning, and it does not improve with rest. So you have pain at night 
and like you're trying to rest and the pain is even worse. Whereas, you know, when you hurt your back, I think we've all done that before. Well, oh, I can't wait to lie down, right? And then get some rest. And then when you get back up, oh, it's hurting again. But these guys, they have to get up and move around and then they feel better. So it's actually the complete opposite. So really important that should trigger people if they have that. And then, so the activity again, helping the pain. And then usually you have to have it for at least three months. And then this morning stiffness you know, really stiff in the morning and gets better over time. And you can have other joints affected as well. You know, the knees, hips, shoulders can be affected. So I don't know if that's what's also going on with McMurray. It's not usually the small joints. You know, people with like an osteoarthritis will get their small joints affected, right? Or rheumatoid arthritis, not as common with this. Usually it's larger joints, but you can also get inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, so like a similar like Crohn's or also colitis an eye disease called uveitis, which is inflammation of a part of your eye, and psoriasis, which is a type of skin disease. So these can all be associated with it as well. Yeah. So, you know, it definitely, it's mainly though the back pain and then the stiffness that can progress mm -hmm. over time. All those things you described are very not rock and roll. Yeah. Right? That's exactly. like probably why he was the most sort of tame member of the band by a long shot. He didn't have it in him to do anything after giving it all his all on stage, I guess. How does this get diagnosed? So you just said, you know, you gave a couple of red flags. If you have back pain where exercise helps it, if it's for longer than three months, this kind of stuff. But how do doctors diagnose yeah, Usually just by the history and then the physical examination. You can do some blood tests, like blood counts. You can do what's called a C-reactive protein. You can test for that antigen we talked about, that HLA-B27. You could test for that. Although, again, you don't necessarily have to do that because it may help. But you don't routinely need to do it because that antigen can be present in up to 7% of a normal, say, Caucasian population. It's more common in Caucasian people. So, you know, is it really that useful? You can do other things to test for inflammation, like what's called a C-reactive protein. But usually it's just by the history and physical examination. You can do x-rays as well, which can show inflammation of the sacroiliac joint called sacroiliitis. The joint margins can look blurred. And sometimes fusion, right? When you get to McMars' stage, you'll see actual fusion on the x-rays. But sometimes in an early case, x-rays can be normal. So sometimes you need to do an MRI in, the, in those patients as well to confirm the diagnosis. What, if anything, is the treatment for this? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to treat them because the problem is most people who get this are young and are working, you know, like Mick Mars was working as a musician. But you can think about if you get more and more disability over time, then you may need to take off work and then you may need to leave your job. So even though it's not like a fatal disease, it can create a lot of disability. And this is one of the things that we think about with disability. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about Parkinson's disease, for example, right? That's typically a diagnosis made in older people. So if you're in your 70s and you get Parkinson's, you're retired. So you're not affecting, you know, the workforce or things like that. But if you get a disease, a chronic disease, when you're very young, right, that's going to be years and years of lifelong disability. And again, affecting the workforce, affecting your ability to find work and to enjoy life. So it is different when you have such a young onset chronic disease, which are not that common, thankfully, but this is a good example of one where you really do want to intervene. So the treatment is at the beginning what we call non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. We've talked about these before. So ibuprofen, which is like Advil, Motrin, or stronger things like naproxen, which is like a leave. You can use those. Taking steroids, corticosteroids, anti-inflammatory steroids by mouth doesn't help, but you can do injections into your joints or the sacroiliac joints. That can also help. 
But now we've moved on, and again, Ali, we've talked about this before with some of the other inflammatory diseases that people move on to what are called biologic agents. So these now we because Scary. yeah, well, they are they're very expensive, but they do work because they're affecting the very specific inflammatory pathways. And these are what are specifically called, the ones that use the most, I guess, for ankylosing spondylitis are called TNF inhibitors. TNF is tumor necrosis factor. So TNF inhibitors are basically inhibiting parts of this inflammatory, what we call cascade, another word we use in, in medicine a lot, the cascade of, of enzymes and proteins that result in inflammation. So you can target specific areas of this to help decrease inflammation over time. So most people would say you try the NSAIDs first, and if that doesn't work or you don't get complete resolution, and for maybe local steroid injections, then you can move on to a TNF inhibitor. And there's many different ones. We don't really have to get into them. Like I said, they are expensive. There are cheaper versions, which are called biosimilars, but that would be the next step. So I don't know specifically for Mars what he's used in the past, or maybe he's tried using those and they haven't worked. So there is treatment. I think the key thing is if you have any of those red flag warning symptoms, you need to see your doctor and talk about those things because some of those things are so unusual, they will make your doctor actually sit up and take notice and be like, oh, that is not what should happen, right? And then you can investigate this. Because again, earlier treatment and try to treat people aggressively and hopefully reducing the disability later on. All right. There you have it. And getting your doctor to sit up and take notice of something is half the battle, Asif, as you know, with these doctors. You know what I'm saying? Very interesting episode. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed going on a little, you know, tour back in my own history of Motley Crue. Got some great episodes coming up. You alluded to Parkinson's, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. We are tying that in with the Michael J. Fox documentary, which is coming out on, I believe, on Apple Plus. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. On, Apple yeah, TV Plus. Plus. Yeah. So Apple if you want to check that out week. before or after we talk about that. So we got that coming up in a couple of weeks. A couple other exciting episodes. We're going to try and do a few more comedy special reviews of some upcoming comedy specials or ones that have been recently released. Let us know what you guys thought about this episode, Dr. V Comedian at gmail.com. Dr. V Comedian on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Who knows how much longer Twitter is going to be going on for with the blue checks. I mean, I don't know. It's probably going to collapse soon, I would think. But, you know, we'll see. But definitely reach out to us. We really appreciate all your feedback and all the listeners. It's just been great. Again, if you can mention our podcast to someone else, let us know. And Ali, May, what do you have going on in May? In the month of May, I'll be in Winnipeg for two nights, not performing, just hanging. Oh. Eating. There's a restaurant in Winnipeg that I love. One of my favorites in Canada. Deer and Almond, it's called. Deer and Almond. No deer on the menu as far as I see, but always wonderful things. Ooh, I love deer. I really oh, do. Well, I'm very happy for you. It's not on the menu. Okay. Regardless. I mean, it might be sometimes. Well, I'm not going. <laughs> okay. Doesn't like the false I wasn't going anyway, but if I'm in uh, Winnipeg, I will go. You okay, so Winnipeg, you're hanging out just to hang out. I'm also at the Fold Festival in Brampton, Ontario, the Festival of Literary Diversity. Sort of, you know, reading from my book, Is There Bacon in Heaven? And participating in this fantastic festival. You know, literature is very much attended by people who are white, typically, who are older. And this is a festival aiming to get young people and people of color and people from different backgrounds into not just reading, but sort of attending, 
you know, and feeling comfortable in these environments where they can talk about literature and learn about their literature from different writers. So I'm a big fan of this festival. I'm very happy to be invited there. And otherwise, I'm going to chill a little bit in May, but we do start filming season three of Sort Of, which will take some of my time. Very excited about that. Oh, awesome. Well, remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye. (laughs) 